What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's so the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, and catechesis. The list goes on. I will sit with your questions, pray with them, and study them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. But here's my disclaimer. I am not perfect. Therefore, the advice that I share with you, the responses I give to you might not be good for you. If that's the case, please reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. Does not help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and the church he founded 2,000 years ago. But if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I want to give you the encouragement to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer, study, fellowship, and worship so that God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship over time in your walk toward eternity. If you are a first-time listener, you can give up your own questions at www.essentialpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S. H. You can also rate us and view us on iTunes and Spotify and uh, Google Play and any other podcast format out there and share us on your social media pages. This helps other people to find out about the show. If it's been good for you, potentially, it could become good for them as well. On today's episode, we have a special guest. We have uh, Father Vincent Lampert. He is the uh, official exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Father Lampert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Father Josh. It's good to be here with you. So on today's show, we're just gonna we're gonna talk about exorcisms. This is clearly a topic that, as we saw tonight at LSU, a lot of people are really interested in learning uh, more about. But before we talk about that topic, can you just share with us a little bit about your story and how you became the exorcist for your archdiocese? Yes, happy to do that. I was ordained a priest back on June the first of 1991, so I'm approaching my 31st anniversary. And back in 2005, my archbishop asked me, actually didn't ask me, he appointed me to be the exorcist for Indianapolis. So we've always had a priest in Indianapolis assigned to this ministry, and the one at that time passed away from, due to illness, and so the archbishop selected me. He said he wanted a priest who believed in the reality of evil, but not one who would be too quick to believe that everyone who came to me and said they were dealing with the demonic, that I would accept that without doing proper investigation. That's, that's, that's wisdom right there. That's wisdom. And so I think, from what I understand, you went to Rome to get uh, formed under the exorcist who was formed by Father Gabriel Morth. Is that correct? Yeah. When I was appointed, I became only one of 12 stably appointed exorcists in the United States. The church says the best way to train is through the apprenticeship model from a seasoned exorcist, but there really wasn't anyone that I was able to train under in the United States. So my bishop sent me to Rome and told me that I should find a priest over there who would be willing to train me. And then I met Father Carmine de Philippus. Both he and uh, Father Gabriel Amorth were trained by Father Candido Amantini, a passionist priest who uh, did exorcisms at the Holy Stairs in Rome. So I actually visited Rome and I visited uh, that priest uh, wherever he was at. I think his his relics are there or, or something, his tomb, something's over there because I got to pray over there a few years ago. His, there's a bust of him. It now says uh, he's a servant of God, Father Candido Amantini, so he's on his way to being canonized. But I believe he's really the one who helped bring exorcism back into the modern-day spotlight. Mm. And praise God. Praise God. Yeah, well, 
Speaking of exorcisms, uh, I think there's sometimes is a little bit of confusion between like, how do you discern between what is a possession uh, versus an uh, oppression versus obsession? Yeah, the church recognizes four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. One you did mention is infestation, the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object. There is a demonic, I use the term vexation as opposed to oppression, as a physical attack. They're both physical attacks, but I believe that oppression is a gift from God. God allows someone to be physically attacked by the demonic as an opportunity for that person to show their fidelity to God, and then as a result to grow in holiness and virtue. Vexation is physical attacks, but somebody has done something either directly or indirectly that opened up a doorway to the demonic into their life. And then demonic Obsession would be mental attacks and then demonic possession, the devil or some other demon taking control of a person's body, treating that body as if it were its own. I always like to ask people to consider for a moment, why would the devil be interested in possessing a human body? And the answer really is at the core of our Christian faith. The greatest thing that God has done for us is the incarnation took on human form in the person of Jesus. And the devil in his own twisted sense believes that you know he wants to mimic God in every way, so he believes that he takes on human form by possessing a human person, is, which is, yeah. I mean, the human person, we are God's greatest creation. We're created in the image and likeness of God, so the devil believes that he takes on the image of God. He's always trying to mock the Lord, and uh, I, I was invited uh, to, uh, to bless someone's house. Uh, they were experiencing a lot of extraordinary things and and in the process of discerning what those things could be. I did a minor exorcism in the house. But one of the the, the things that I I share with the the, the people was that like, yeah, I could do this minor exorcism at at your house right now. But if you're involved in the occult or if you're doing things that are kind of like sketchy, you're going to be bringing stuff into this house regardless of whatever masses are celebrated here or minor exorcisms are performed, correct? Yeah, yeah. if somebody's doing something that's inviting the demonic into their life, again, people can do that directly or indirectly. Indirectly, when they're doing something, they don't really understand the ramifications of it. Directly, when they know that they're doing something that is really contrary to how God would call us to live. And there are consequences to that. People can be opening up a doorway to the demonic in their life. So what are some of those um, doorways that people might unknowingly invite the demonic into their life. One of the ones I would mention right away would be ties to the occult. A lot of people think that occult activities are just fun and entertaining, maybe such as playing with a Ouija board, going to see a psychic or a median. You know, it's just harmless fun or entertainment, people might think. But, you know, there is a demonic component behind all of that. It's like a Ouija board is inherently evil. It was created solely for the purpose of bringing about a connection, a demonic connection between a person and a demon or even the devil himself. So there is that danger. And then sometimes people just know what they're doing is wrong, but they are, they unite their will with the will of the demon and they chose to go against God. Yeah. Would you, if someone knowingly is committing mortal sin, they, they, and, and they freely choose to commit mortal sins is, is that a gateway that for, for, the, for the devil to have an entry point to their life? Yeah, because the mortal sin really is the complete rejection of God. 
somebody very clearly knows that what they're doing is contrary to God. They're violating God's law. So if one is turning their back on God and walking away from God, the devil can approach them more readily. Yeah. It's not that God moved away. Mm-hmm. It's that the person moved away from God by committing a sin that was contrary to the laws of God. And if we're acting contrary to the laws of God, that's exactly what the devil himself did. Yeah, yeah. And we walk away from the Lord, but the Lord, he never gives up on us. No, and, there's some great examples. You know, when Adam sinned, God calls out, Adam, where are you? So God is always on the lookout for us. I think of the, the, the story of the prodigal son where the father sees his son coming home from a distance, which means he's out looking for him. God always does that. You know, the story of Jacob wrestling, you know, with the angel that teaches us there's a God who fights for us. So God never gives up on us, even though we may give up on God. But we have to turn back to God. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't come and kick the door down, say, here I am to save the day. He's there, but we have to invite him in. Yeah, I love the image that that Jesus always proposes to us, but he never imposes. God will always respect our free will. Yeah. So in the the Old Testament, the the patriarchs and the prophets were sent, and uh, and then, of course, Jesus Christ came, he sent the apostles, and and whenever we open ourselves up to the demonic, uh, the Lord through the church, he, he sends us uh, exorcists to help us to find liberation and, and freedom from uh, these attacks. So what is uh, the path to being liberated if one has opened themselves up to uh, a personal relationship with Satan? The normal path would just be to return to the ordinary life of the church. So if one has given in to sin and invited the demonic in, the best thing a person could do initially is go to confession. If somebody has given a demon some authority or rights over them, one can take that back. You know, the human person, we can grow in holiness and virtue. We can understand that what we did was wrong. We can repent. And that's really what reconciliation is all about. So going back to the sacraments, returning to Mass... You know, spending time in prayer, reading the Bible. You know, it's the ordinary aspects of our faith that will help us. There are times, though, when people need particular prayers because they've walked so far down that path of evil that the church has the ministry of exorcism, which are special prayers to help liberate somebody that's uh, gone over into the world of darkness. One of the ways I like to define exorcism is that it's a way that the church commands the demon to return that which it has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. Of course, demons would want us to believe that once we've made a choice, it's irreversible. But again, the human person, especially as Catholics, we know that conversion is an ongoing process. We can understand the wrongness of our ways and then repent. Again, like the prodigal son, we can return home. You know, the good thief on the cross, we can say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus says you'll be with me in paradise because God is more concerned where we're at at this moment more than we are concerned about he is about the past you know the devil wants us to live in the past so that we give into guilt and fear and worry and doubt but God wants us to really live in the present moment one of my favorite things I've always liked to do is read the lives of the saints 
And there's a common theme, I believe, in the lives of the saints where when we die, the main question God's going to propose to us is this, how much did you love me? And it's the love that we've demonstrated to others that ultimately will save us because we are reflecting God himself, who is love. And I think again of the line, you know, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink or naked and clothe you or sick or in prison and visit you? You know, as often as you did it for one of these least ones, you did it for me. So it really is a matter of demonstrating love. And the devil really is the antithesis of love. He's all about hatred and and death. Mm-hmm. And that's the world he wants to pull us into. But God wants to pull us into the world of life, eternal life. Yeah, so beautiful and so true. And uh, and the devil quite often, uh, one of his tactics is division, right? And obviously we live in a very divided world right now. And there's even, uh, unfortunately, a lot of division in our church. And some of the division is just ridiculous, right? Division. People are fighting over whether or not the exorcism is authentic, if it's in English or, or Latin. But in a number of conversations I've had with different exorcists, from what I hear, if you're praying the prayer of the church, the prayer of the church will work. <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's what really matters. I think when we ask the question, which is more effective, Latin or English, I like to say the devil is pleased when we ask that question because it shows division within the church. Ultimately, if it's the prayer of the church, that's all that really matters, whether it's in the vernacular or in Latin, that's secondary to the fact that it's the prayer of the church, and we know that Christ promised to be with the church forever, and that the laws, you know, the jaws of death, would not prevail against it. Yeah, and so rather than getting caught up in those uh, those games, I think we uh, should just be grateful that God is liberating His people who have been held captive by by the enemy. Do you have? Uh, any particular experiences that, that, that stand out uh, of witnessing a person experience freedom uh, through the prayers of the church from Jesus Christ? I have, because I've been an exorcist now. I'm in my 17th year. So there are just, you know, I've literally done thousands of exorcisms over these past years when it comes to the infestation, the vexation, the obsession, and possession But I remember doing an exorcism one time that once the demon was cast out, the person literally began to glow, Mm. just radiating the glory of God. And the woman just began proclaiming out loud that she was worthy and loved by God. I mean, and just listening to that and seeing it, it just, it brings tears of joy to your eyes to see what God really wants to do in the lives of people. And oftentimes when people are dealing with the demonic, you know, the devil is the accuser. He's always constantly reminding us of what we've done wrong, our sins and whatnot. But, you know, Jesus is a liberator who wants to bring us freedom. And when people discover that, they truly do radiate the glory of God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Father, uh, is there anything that we've not talked about that you think would be important for our listeners to to sit with and pray with? I think it's worthwhile to repeat again that— We don't have to do anything extraordinary to combat the demonic in our lives. The church has given us exactly what we need. We we have the sacraments, we have mass, we have prayer, we have the Bible, we have the sacramentals of the church. So everyone just really needs to consistently live day in and out our faith. You know, again, and we are all sinners. We all trip up every now and then. But rather than continuing to spiral downward, 
we catch ourselves with the sacrament of reconciliation. We go to confession, we give it over to God, and once we've given over to God, the devil can't use it against us anymore. Yeah, so the Lord essentially does not want us to live in fear of the enemy. Uh, we can trust in, in the power of the graces that come from abiding in an intentional relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacrament of life of the church. As the Bible says, perfect faith will cast out fear. Amen. Amen. Well, is there any way that our listeners can stay in touch with you? Do you have any books out that they can uh, purchase or anything like that? I wrote a book during COVID. People asked me what I did during lockdown, and I was asked by Emmaus Road Publishing out of Steubenville, Ohio, if I would write a book. You know, it's operated by um, Dr. Scott Hahn. He's great. So I wrote a book called uh, Exorcism, the Battle Against Satan and His Demons, again, by Emmaus Road Publishing. Awesome. Well, be sure to check that out. And Father, thank you for your ministry, your gift to the church. It's been a particular gift for, for me to be able to spend the past few days with you. Yeah, there's just like a, you're just a good man. It's clear. It's very clear. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for your priesthood, Father. <laughs> thank you. God bless. All right. God bless. God bless.